Hi, I'm Gianna Volpe, and thank you for listening to The Heart of the East End on 88.3 WLIWFM, the show where we get to the heart of any matter at hand with folks from all walks of life on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. We stream online at WLIW.org radio and welcome your comments, questions, and collaborations of all kinds on the heart of the East End. Have you ever thought maybe between a 9 and 11, Monday through Friday, that you belong with me here on WLIWFM? We have a midnight replay here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM 88.3 on the FM dial or online streaming at WLIW.org slash radio, the heart of the East End Friday morning roundtable underwritten by Village Overhead Doors. It's still morning, even if you're listening to the midnight replay. We've got on deck the second of our surprise guests, and, and that is John, the one and only Jonathan Pearl of the Full Moon Arts Center, which is, all right, so it's changed a bit because it was in Center Mariches, but I believe the property has sold, and now um, you guys are doing a show at the William Riss Gallery in Jamesport uh, with Mary Cantone. Am I on Am I on target here, Jonathan? That's correct. Mary has offered her beautiful gallery, which is in Jamesport, for our group, which is the Full Moon Group, uh, or we call it the Full Moon Collective, which essentially is the, uh, well, we talked about it before, a bunch of artists of different disciplines working together and trying to inspire each other and share in common interests. But I have something to say about the 50-year horizon mm. of your previous guest. Oh, the the uh, very, the the, the very time impressive. capsule. I know my 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 horizon is dinner. <laughs> no, you know, I know. So, I said I said so off the air. You know, year, no way. Having a 50-year horizon is so optimistic. It's very much like <laughs> planting a tree. <laughs> How old will you be? Get to see. How old will you be in 50 years? In 50 years? If I can count, about 140, something like that. Nice. No, no, no. My my math is wrong. I'll be 52. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Jonathan Perlman, the, the the great thing about us being on the air with one another this morning is that I have had on my, you talk about, uh, I was speaking with Tim Gannon of the Riverhead News Review yesterday, um, visiting him uh, after, you know, he's, he's, he's sort of laid up a little bit right now. And um, I, I said to him, he said, you know, he, I said, how is the annual cleaning of the desk? Because Gannon would clean his desk once a year for a head of um, an awards assembly, uh, for like people of the year. Uh, that we would host at the the newsroom, but obviously that hasn't really been happening. And you know, he said that well, you know, I haven't really been there since last March. And I thought about this idea 
of, uh, you know, desks and, and how they're sort of in stasis. If you have a, a desk at a place, uh, many, not a lot of people have been going to work. So many people have been working remotely. Um, and I just wanted to say that at my desk here, which I actually moved from the old studio, I have an antique top that I was all oh, re- yes. re- that's in my cup to give to you because I came across one and I remember that you you create do you make like birds out of antique tops and other sculptures? I do. I do. The the top is a great shape for a uh, bird body essentially if you look at it. And I remember the last time we talked, I, I think I brought one in for Wally. Wally. Dr. Smith, we love you. Our, and, um, our general manager, Emeritus, or I think, I don't, I can't remember how to, how to do it. Here. So, yes, I, I, I make things out of found objects, as you may remember. Yes. Um, I don't call them found, I call them collected, because... Uh, the specific things that kind of turn me on and that I can see them as something else and then I try to create what I see. So that top would be greatly appreciated. I oh, was, it's coming. You, I was expecting it in the mail. I know. I'm I sorry. I to return it to you as a bird. And 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 it is still coming. I just went I'm to the. Sure. I just I just went to the with the the fun drive and all of all of the other things and do you know I I, I still have many hats. Although I have less official. You know I I work here and that's it. But still many hats. And many things, and the to-do list is very long, but it will, it is coming. And I, what I wanted to ask you is about this year, I have to imagine that this has been a very unique opportunity for someone who collects objects, because I have seen, uh, as someone who uh, is sort of a, like, semi-retired collector, let's put it that way, um, I, uh, I've seen uh, more objects about that people are giving away than ever before in my life. This really? Time. Yeah. Have you? Well, this has just been a strange year for yes. everything. Correct. <laughs> I could see people giving away, cleaning up, and kind of spending a lot of time in the house and getting rid of things they don't want or like anymore. But it's been an odd year. That's for certain. Have you collected any? Have you collected any strange objects to work with, as far as as an artist? Yeah, I'm always on the lookout, and um, uh, it's been a little harder because I, I I do a lot of yard selling, um, and ah. um, since that's been closed down, it's cut off my source. But odd, oddly enough. Um, it's kind of forced me to be a little more creative with the materials that I already have. I have such a large collection of oddball things, and sometimes I find myself passing over them. But this year, with the lack of new materials coming into my studio, 
I've had to uh, push myself and work a little harder, and uh, I'm very pleased with the result of things that I've done this can, year under can, the circumstances. And eBay is a great place to fill in if you're looking for something. Yeah, I stay away from there. Hey, so can you share with us what are some of the things that uh, people will be able to see at the William Risk Gallery at the Full Moon uh, Collective show coming to the North Fork? Well, um, the first thing that you all notice is that there's uh, work from, I think it's 11 of us. I'm not certain. So the breadth of work uh, is... uh, quite extensive from uh, collage to you know found object art to fine painting and uh, it's quite an interesting group as you know you've seen the work before so I think that's the first thing as far as my stuff goes it's um, I've done some new things stretched myself a little bit I'm pleased with what I'm showing uh, you don't you know, I I only show things that I really like, but once in a while you make something that's better than you thought you could do, and I have a few of those in the gallery that I'm really pleased with. Ooh, I I I'm so, loving these pictures. I'm I'm on the William Riss. It's WilliamRiss.com. I I see a bird, right? So we got a turkey. But what is this? Oh, the turkey is great. The turkey's a collaboration, by the way. Oh, cool. With uh, uh, one of my friends and one of the artists in the group, Steve Palumbo. Oh, nice. Who does collage work. And he did the, I did the body of the turkey and he did the plumage. Oh, and he's right next, he's right next door when you, when you look up the show, which opens tomorrow, by the way. But I want, before we, we talk more about it, I got to know more about you're talking about uh you know surprising successes is that it would you count it looks like um it looks like the uh the the milk the gal the universe what's what's going on here or the um the planets what is this what is this thing on the left well, I'm not sure what you're asking me oh okay, so I'm looking at this picture it's one of your works and it looks like yeah. It looks like it's planets, but it maybe I'm wrong. And it's it's wood, and it's got like a red ball on top, and then it's got a um, a metal ring with other orbs surrounding it of different colors. So it looks like I, the solar I, system, but it's, oh, oh, it's oh, it's the juggler. Oh. It's a juggler, if that's what we're talking yes, about. Yes, I think so. It's a, yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, just an odd shaped piece of wood that I fashioned into a uh, I guess you'd call it a person and he's juggling Oh I see it! I see it! I I get it! No that is that's exactly that's exactly what we're talking about we're definitely talking about the juggler it's one of those things it's like it's one of those pictures where it's like do you see a dog or do you see someone running into the woods? (laughs) A dog so no, I was I looking at it. it 
Yeah. If, I, if you see it as a dog, it's a dog. No, I see it. I, so Except, what I saw was the solar system. But then when you explained that it's the juggler, I see it now. Yeah. If you guys want to see the juggler, you can go to WilliamRiss.com. Full Moon is going to be opening tomorrow. It'll be on view through May 23rd. Uh, the participating artists are painters Peter Beston, Gina Gilmore, Jane Kirkwood, Elizabeth Mal- Malunowitz, I, or... I still have some of her cards, I believe. Did she make I think she made um some greeting cards, I think so. Maybe beautiful not. pieces. Yeah. Yes, okay, I do. Ronnie Weiner, um, where um Full Moon Art uh, collective used to be um located mm-hmm. at her property in Center Marches, but it is no longer. Uh, photographer Mike McLaughlin, um, Steve Palumbo, we spoke about, Jonathan Perlman, who we're speaking with, Giampaolo Falai, and then uh, Robert Moore and Valerie Seaman, who we are um, basically, surprise, surprise, is our third surprise guest on the roundtable. So um, before we play the track, I just want to say hello to Valerie and say thank you. You've been so incredibly patient this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to participate. I'm so happy to have you on with us. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about who you are, where you come from, where you're going, and where you are today? Well, I've, I've lived on Long Island my whole life. Uh, starting with, I don't know if people are familiar with Floral Park, and and then we moved to Great Neck, and uh, fast forward, I've lived in Huntington for, for 30 years, and uh, but I've always been an aficionado of the beaches here, and so I started at Jones Beach Fields 4, then moved, you know, slowly moved my way, you know, eastward, so um, I love it here. Um, and uh, I was happy to meet all the people at the Full Moon Collective. They invited me in, which was a wonderful uh, invitation. Because as artists, you know, we, we're very solo. We're, we're very isolated. I mean, I felt for me that the quarantine was just isolation 102. Because mm. um, we, we do sit, tend to work, you know, solitary, you know, solitary in, in our studio. So... It was hard, you know, to go from isolation to deep isolation, right. and and then, you know, the meetings at the Full Moon Collective were were halted um, because of safety, and you know, and then we moved to Zoom, and uh, but uh, you know, I started as uh, a quilter uh, all those years ago, and then I moved towards surface design, and. Um, I came to art late in life, so several years ago, I realized I wanted to be an artist when I grew up. And uh, I have to give a shout out to Mary Cantone at William Rift because she was the first gallery owner to invite me to exhibit. And she has discovered me, um, there was a magazine, I'm sorry, I forget the name, where they they did they highlighted Long Island artists, mm. and I I was one of them. Uh, Pulse, it was Pulse magazine. Got it. And but the other part of it is Mary was also the first one to see textiles as art, and not as necessarily craft. 
Um, and so I, I was very, I've been very successful at William Rivers. She's got great, she's got great clients, and uh, mo- a lot of them have um, discovered my work through Mary. And so it was, uh, I, I have to thank her. And I think the William Risk Gallery is one of the best, not just on the, the North Fork or the East End, but uh, on Long Island. You know, I thank you for thanking Mary because you you talk about uh, people who are special and passionate, and she certainly is that. Like she really, she really gets it, and she really cares, and she re- she's one of those people that goes the extra mile. Um, I, I'm I'm fascinated by your story, and I want to learn more uh, since you know we've never gotten a chance to get to know you here on the show. Um, so I'd first like to invite you to choose. Uh, I like to connect the tracks that I do, um, a word in either the artist, the album, or the title, and we're in the You Belong to Me section. So we've got three tracks, You Belong to Me. We've got the Duprees, we've got Carly Simon, and we've got Magic Sam. So um, I'm letting you choose our direction, Valerie Zeman, uh, before we find out a little bit more about you here on the Friday Morning Roundtable. Uh, this morning, we've heard from Martin Faint, Jonathan Perlman. We're getting to know Valerie Zeman a bit more. I'm Gianna Volpe. And Valerie, which which way do you want to uh, steer the ship? We're going the Duprees, Carly Simon, or Magic Sam? Call Simon. Very nice. We'll be right back here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, after Carly Simon's You Belong to Me from her Boys in the Trees album from 1978. Playing all decades and genres, speaking to folks from all walks of life, all morning long, here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. And uh, she is waiting to hear back from some colleges now, so I, I would assume she'll get some uh, some some definite uh, accept- acceptances uh, in in that package when uh, once you get the once you get those in the mail. It's such a great message for teenagers right now who are really hurting so badly. Um, just the social isolation right now has been devastating to so many. And uh, you know, I, I went to Mattatuck High School, and I can't I couldn't imagine that ever happening when I. <laughs> when I went to school there like she would have been mercilessly ridiculed and it's so heartening to see that like things have really changed yeah high school's really hard it really is hard for those kids especially this last year right I think the strongest elements of this story is that she's able to present her own unique look yet successfully very successfully navigate through uh, mainstream uh, uh, academics and uh, become saluted. It's agreed to let her take her uh, senior picture in that Gothic look, as long as she also consented to have conventional photos taken of her. So someday, 50 years from now, she can look back and see herself straight and also as a, as a Gothic uh, image has become uh, uh, nationally yeah. famous. <laughs> yeah, part of, part of the deal was, she, so she had originally taken, uh, I guess what you call a regular yearbook photo, yeah. and that was kind of the compromise she had made with her mom who wanted to have pictures of her, you know, kind of, uh, you know, as 
I guess she would prefer to, you know, see her. So she did that photo first and then went back and did a retake and dressed as she wanted and, and yeah. knew that that was going to be the photo that she uh, ultimately put in the yearbook, but obviously never thought it would go kind of beyond the school community and uh, certainly not as uh, viral across the internet as it did. Um, yeah, she's appealing to, to all generations, the way she's come across there. So it is a terrific story, Joe. There, there was some negative comment too, right? Or was it mostly positive uh, online? And I think again, it speaks to her strength that she was able to, yeah. to just. Yeah, yeah, there definitely was some negatives. I think, especially when it first went out before it kind of picked up steam, you know, some people were chiming in, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I think she got some weird stuff uh, sent to her, uh, certainly, some, and there were some weird comments. But once it kind of picked up uh, steam, I think the, um, general positivity and about her, you know, embracing herself like that, um, really started to outweigh any of, uh, of the negative comments. And it was, um, uh, really all positive in, in the end, I think. Good for her and good for the, for the community. So what's her name? Her name is, uh, Veronica. I'm actually not even hundred percent sure how to pronounce her last name. It's a Polish, Polish name. And, yeah. I was and taking a shot at it on there and trying to get it right. <laughs> yeah, no, I forgot to ask her how she actually pronounces her last name. You don't need to do that in print. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Spell it right, which is sometimes a challenge. Yeah, it's like, like Jakimowitz. I mean, wow. that's how I would pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and her her mom had a great story too about you know she was born in Poland and her, her dad was born in Poland too, and her, the mom came here when she was eighteen and didn't speak any English, and um, so this girl's you know first first generation American. And um, so, you know, it's even more impressive of uh, what she's accomplished. Yes, sir. It's, it's a great story. Great, strong family there. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on WLIW-FM. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group, joined by my co-host, Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group, Joe Workmeister from the Suffolk Times Riverhead News Review, Michael Mackey, the local host for the Long Island Morning Edition on WLIW-FM, and Beth Young, publisher editor of the East and Beacon. So we ran a, a, a story this week um, about Southampton Village looking to um, looking at the process of renewing permits for outdoor dining this spring and, and summer, and and also looking at reinstituting the uh, uh, Southampton in the streets, which was kind of an event they were holding every weekend last summer, most weekends last summer through the uh, through the, the pandemic where they kind of closed down Main Street and Job's Lane to to allow outdoor dining. And I'm just wondering what, what you guys are hearing about outdoor dining and and whether you think people are going to feel more comfortable going into restaurants um, as as the pandemic kind of eases and wanes. I read an article this morning that said that we're probably not going to see normal at least until um, holiday season next winter after kids in school get vaccinated and the vaccinations get younger and younger. So I'm thinking probably outdoor dining is going to be a, a good option that way to, as far as staying safe. But on a larger note, I mean, I think people just loved the outdoor dining and the opportunities that the different villages and, and towns allowed, um, you know, restaurant owners to, to do outdoor dining. And, you know, we, we had a lot of conversations about it last summer, but it, it really kind of changed the atmosphere of, of our main streets to allow the outdoor dining. So what do you guys think about that? 
Why was outdoor dining not allowed previously? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it was part of the code, and I think there were. I don't know. Per se, it's the per health se- department occupancy right. standards. Yeah, I know like what they did in Sac Harbor is they allowed you to, whatever your occupancy was allowed inside, you couldn't add any more seats outside, but you could trade away what you were normally allowed to do inside and put those number of seats outside. And, um, and I think it's been a huge success. I know in Sac Harbor, I mean, in Sac Harbor always had a pretty good dining scene. But um, but it really made it feel sort of like a you know European village in the middle of a pandemic, and um, yeah. and a lot of the restaurants spent a lot of money. Um, like I was, I'm thinking of Sen in particular and the American Hotel, um, and even LT Burger. They they spent a lot of money sort of fixing up these outdoor spaces. So um, I'm guessing that they don't want to give up on that right uh, at this point. And, and I think that it's become really popular and, um, and it just sort of adds to adds to the life of the village. And I think all of the villages would probably benefit and, and want to see it come back. That's my guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, absolutely. Joe, Joe, you guys in Riverhead, I mean, was, was there a big push toward outdoor dining in it? I'm, I, um, last, last summer, you think you'll see that come back? I know that they have the, um, the, the live on 25 um, events too. I think they tried to do a little of that last year, right? Yeah, it, you know, instead of doing the live on 25, they switched gears and called it Dine on 25 and right. you know, had the outdoor set up and tables in the street and you know, shut everything down for um, a couple of Thursdays during the summer. And you know, that was in addition to just you know, restaurants typically having tables set up outside their particular spot. Uh, so that was kind of an expanded uh, outdoor dining for you know, a couple of days in the summer. So, uh, you know, they are trying to do that again. You know, as of right now, they're still holding out hope that they can do a regular alive on 25. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on whether, you know, regulations would allow for a gathering of that size. Um, I, I'm not too uh, optimistic that that would um, go forward this summer. So we, I think we could see another dine on 25 series. Um and again, yeah, I think there'll be plenty of uh, restaurants uh, in downtown Riverhead doing outdoor seating. And I think people uh, definitely, definitely were into it. And it was also huge out in uh, Greenport Village uh, last summer. Right. We had to set up the parklets um, uh, for the restaurants to set up tables. And that seemed, you know, we wrote a lot about that last summer and into the fall. You know, they kind of kept pushing it uh, farther and farther and went through like Thanksgiving, I think. So, I mean, people are out there when it was pretty cold out and still, still enjoying it. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to be something here to stay. Uh, You know, when you get into these villages like Greenport, you know, it does get tough because you sort of have this trade-off where you lose some parking to accommodate um, the outdoor uh, dining. So that gets a little tricky when, you know, anytime you lose parking, because obviously there's not a ton in some of these small villages. So, you know, that's one thing that they have to kind of try to try to figure out going forward. But, yeah, I think the outdoor dining is here to stay. And and, and as Annette pointed out, I I think that that there's the trade off as well Um, with the outdoor dining. You lose some of the indoor dining. And as those restrictions are eased a little bit, that that might come into play. And I'm curious to see how the municipalities deal with that and how the county deals with that. If you still want to have that outdoor dining, but increase your indoor dining. Are you guys are you guys ready to get back into the restaurants? I know that I've had a couple lunches with friends. Um, 
at, at the diner and, and for a burrito, um, you know, and with, with vaccinated friends. And, and I felt pretty comfortable going into the restaurants. There's still some limitations, but the still it's in the, in, in the back of your mind. There's a little bit of fear of, uh, I don't know if this is a good idea or not. I mean, you kind of get into it, but Annette, are, are you ready to go indoor dining? I actually did go and have an indoor dinner at 1770 house on Easter Sunday. Um, and they're still maintaining the social distancing. And um, I felt pretty comfortable. I've had both of my vaccinations. Um, so um, yeah, it wasn't much of a thought for me. Um, and uh, you know, I'm, we're not going out a ton. I mean, honestly, we've, so, we've realized how much money we save by cooking every meal at home. And, like, um, and that has sort of uh, become our, our new, uh, our new go-to and, and maybe we've just become lazy, but the idea of actually leaving the house is like a big deal. You got to take the sweatpants off, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, that's the only thing that fits anymore, unfortunately. So, um, but I don't know, like we're not going crazy with the outdoor dining. Um, yeah. I mean, the indoor dining yet, um, we've only been out, but 1770 house did a, a wonderful job and, you know, the staff is still masked and I feel pretty confident um, doing that, you know, but again, I've had both of my vaccinations and, you know, we're wearing the masks inside, but it's funny. I'm starting to forget sometimes, like I'll walk out of the car. I'm like, Oh, I forgot my mask. It's sort of, sort of like we're, you know, we're starting to come out of the other, other end, I think. So. Yeah. I, I have to admit that I went with a friend last night to Jake's 58, just to, just to check it out. And they, have, they have some restrictions there and I'm not, I, I don't want to come across as a degenerate gambler. I, I go maybe once or twice a year to, <laughs> to Jake's 58. But I mean, they, the precautions that they had made me feel very comfortable. They check your temperature, uh, walking in, and then they make you take your mask off and they take a picture of you for some reason, I guess, in case somebody wants to. Strong on one of the, one <laughs> well, that's of the a big thing about it. You, you used but, to not be able to go into banks wearing a mask, but then you had to start going into the bank. <laughs> and they had plexiglass in between all the different machines and it started to fill up later on. And, and we kind of took off because it was starting to get a little, a little crowded, but it, I, I have to say it felt like normal. It really, you know, a little bit and just going in there and, and being part of a crowd and, um, you know, listening to the, the lights and sirens on, on all the machines. It was, it was kind of fun. So how much uh, did you lose? I'm sorry. How much did you lose? I broke even and I'm always happy when I break even. There you go. I, I lost a little and I won a little The the trick is, is when you're up on one of the machines, you got to cash out. So you've got a paper ticket instead of money. And you just put that paper ticket in your pocket. So if, if you do that all night and as you're up a little bit and keep cashing out by the end of the night, you're pretty much where you started. Although it would have been nice to win big. That's why you go, right? Beth, are you, are you comfortable going to restaurants? Uh, I went to Boom Burger in West Hampton uh, oh, two days ago. The first time we had been in a restaurant in, um, in uh, forever. It's kind of a takeout place, but they have a big dining room with a filter that's sealed off from the rest of the uh, the place. And uh, we were the only people there and we had a great time, but it was really weird. <laughs> yeah. No, it yeah. is. That, that first like, time is like, you know, it's yeah. like, I've never been in a restaurant before. Right. Yeah. Well, it's also I was like, what do we do here? Where do we put the napkins? <laughs> and if you're alone, it is sort of like you're eating at home because there's nobody else there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of my greatest concerns is I've met a bunch of people the past year of whom I've never seen them without a mask. And what's scarier still, they've never seen me without a mask. <laughs> I, I kind of like the, pref I prefer the mask lately. I think I'm going to. I like it. Yeah. yeah it just, I feel bolder. 
I, I feel mysterious a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I ran into Brian Cosgrove outside your office the other day, and I went through like every name in my head. I was like, I know him. The mask is really throwing me off. Last man. <laughs> I do wonder how much the mask will, you know, kind of stick around just as a kind of a norm. If, you know, if you're going out, you don't necessarily feel well, you just throw a mask on and, you know, keep keep other people from maybe getting sick, you know? It's, and the fact that none of us have got the flu or a cold in the last right. year, like, wow, there's yeah. some. I, I haven't had sniffles in, uh, since 2019. Right. The last, the, the only fever I've gotten in the last 14 months was the fever I, I had to suffer through for a short while after my second vaccination shot. So the, the mass and the distancing does keep us healthier, doesn't it? Did you have the Moderna, Michael? Yes, I did. I went to uh, I went to a Miller Place Rite Aid on March second, then returned on March thirtieth. We talk a lot about traffic out here and and complain, but uh, now we're talking about Miller Place and Rocky Point. They're just a few hamlets uh, west of Riverhead, and that's a whole different traffic situation than here. Not only that, they have cameras at the, the red light. So holy crow, you feel like Big Brother's watching you. <laughs> you, you, get, you get one of those tickets and you learn how to stop at a red light. Yeah, right. it is. Yeah, yellow does not mean speed up. <laughs> That's right. It's come to a full stop before you turn right on red. You're so we have it pretty good out here in many ways. And uh, although it is more crowded than ever before. Yep. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group, joined by my co-host Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group, Beth Young from East End Beacon, Joe Workmeister from the Suffolk Times Riverhead News Review, and Michael Mackey from WLIWFM. Let's talk about pot. Yeah. Uh, so I know that, that you guys, when I wasn't here on the show last week, but you guys talked a little bit about um, about legalized recreational marijuana. And I know that Michael Mackey wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, Shinnecock Nation's plan. They had, um, they've long planned for uh, to, to have medical marijuana cultivation and a dispensary on the reservation, um, but now they're they're talking about possibly, um, since the the state approved um, recreational marijuana last month, they're talking about kind of switching gears a little bit. And I think there, there's still going to be a vote in May, but they put out a press release um, this week that that pretty much I, I think. Um, kind of lets the cat out of the bag. I, I, I would be surprised if they didn't move in that direction. What were your thoughts on that, Michael? Well, they were showing some concerns, uh, first of all, about how uh, the, the, the state's cooperation with them developing a medical marijuana cultivation and dispensary. But they, they state, they told the Mark Harrington of Newsday that that's forthcoming very soon. As far as the uh, recreational marijuana cultivation and sales, Brian Polite states that it must get the full approval of everyone on the reservation, not just the uh, the tribal council. But he also emphasized that they can uh, uh, they can uh, grow and sell marijuana as they please on their on their nation's uh, uh, property. You know, it seems to me this is now personal opinion. They the, there's a string of smoke shops there. It's only natural that they would uh, sell recreational marijuana. What will be interesting is it sounds to me like uh, the Shinnecock are going to go ahead and start selling it before the state at large does so. So that will be, we'll talk about, that could create a, a traffic situation if the only place you can buy uh, legal pot is at the Southampton Reservation. Whoa, look out. 
Yeah, people but driving. That seems more are... appropriate to me than a gambling casino there. The, the, the gambling casino is an ongoing uh, traffic situation. When you were at uh, Jake's 58 the other night, Bill, is that, did you get a, did you transplant what was happening there to uh, Montauk Highway in, in Southampton and well, I mean, it was, your thoughts? it's still kind of <clears throat> it was it was limited attendance and, you know, limited number of machines and all that. So it wasn't I, I've seen it really busy before. It wasn't that busy. I mean, there were spots in the parking lot. I mean, I've been there pre-COVID and you've got to kind of circle the parking lot or, or or let the guy park your car or whatever. But it wasn't that um, last night. So it, it, it's it, it's hard to tell. And, you know, it's different up there because it's off the expressway and then they've got the access right. road there. And, and so kind of it's really set up um, yeah. well, I think, to handle that traffic. Um, but we'll see. I mean, as, as far as, you know, as, as far as pot sales, um, you know, on, on the on the territory you know, and traffic, I think, you know, people are people are driving slowly by there anyway. Imagine if they're buying, right. you know, if they're buying, you know, cannabis, they're just going to be driving even, even more slowly. So I think. <laughs> yeah. They still haven't come up with a good way to test uh, driving under the influence of pot. Have they? No, I think that's the big stick sticking point. Right. I don't know how you do that. No, it's going to be. I do find it hypocritical. Some of the uh, listening to some state Senator up Island talk about, well, where are they going to sell this? Are they going to be selling it near schools? Well, you know, every how close are delis and uh, liquor stores to schools? It's a, the hypocrisy of, of a marijuana versus we glorify alcohol and, and demonize uh, marijuana. That's it's it's I don't think it's a good message. We should educate people regarding the uh, the, the results of, of both. But don't don't uh, demonize one and glorify the other. It's just not healthy. So it's not and it's not true. Teenagers will never will never find weed if uh, as long as it's not sold right. near the school. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, how much do we know about the facility? Make sure there's no woods next to the school. How much? <laughs> how much do we know about the facility that they want to put up on at um, on the Shinnecock Reservation? Are are they talking about like producing gummies and all these other edibles, or is it pure um, smoke smoking of marijuana, or or what do we know about that? The product itself, you mean? No, I haven't said heard anything about exactly the product. But they're working with organizations with, in the tribal community at large throughout the country to put this together. They're, it's going to be their own thing, but generally speaking, conform with what the New York State uh, is setting up. Well, is my and, and I think they're smart if they can corner the market and kind of get ahead of um of the, you know, the legalization, I guess, takes effect in effect in, in 2022. So if they can, they're, they're already, you know, have the plans for, for facilities there. So, um, you know, they might as well take advantage oh. of that. And, and various municipalities can opt out, which is interesting. So correct. like how, how can like villages opt, opt out or is it on the county level? Um, villages, towns, um, any municipality can opt out just of the sales. I mean, obviously, cannabis would still be legal within the boundaries of the villages. And I think you could still grow it within, within the, uh, within the villages and towns, but they can say, no, we're not going to have any smoke shops. So if the county was considering that the last time this came up, but I think they got a lot of pushback at the public hearings and they just dropped it. I mean, if if they opted out, that could make, that would be huge for the, for the Shinnecock if the, if the municipality opted out, because they would be the only, literally the only game in town. So I think, yeah, I think, I think Newsday had a story. Uh, the other day where the, I guess some of these, uh, all the town uh, heads had a meeting together. And I think 
part of their reasoning was that, you know, they, there's no way they can really opt out uh, is because this uh, Shinnecock um, proposal is going forward no matter what. So there, I think that the reasoning is, you know, what good is it going to be if we say we're going to opt out in, you know, uh, Brookhaven town, but then everyone could just drive to the reservation and get it anyway. So uh, I think it kind of forced uh, the town's hands right off the bat. Well, the same thing. Like- if one town opts out and the other town does, people are just going to cross the border right. and, and- you know, and all that. So what about the, the Mastic reservation? Do we know anything? Are they considering branching out into marijuana? Do we, have we heard? I haven't heard any, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, there's, you know, there's 20 smoke shops down there, a gas station and, and all that. I mean, if it's, if it's allowed, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We are out of time. Yeah. Listening to behind the headlines on W L I W F M. Um, I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group, my co-host Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group, Joe Workmeister, editor of the Suffolk Times Overhead News Review, Michael Mackey, local host for Long Island Morning Edition on WLIW-FM, and Beth Young, publisher editor of the East End Beacon. Thank you guys so much. This was a great show and we'll have you on again really soon.